All right. This morning, you have no idea how difficult it is for me to preach this next little text. Uh, Maybe if I read it, then you'll kind of get why. Um, So let's read it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're just looking at two verses uh, in a a kind of like a, a shot, not a shotgun, but almost like a machine gun fire of admonitions here at the end. So verse 12, we read, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, can you see why I don't want to be the one up here standing talking about this? Because it definitely affects me in, 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 in many ways, and also uh, our congregation as well. Um, let me just finish reading the text, though. Let's just finish reading the book so you can uh, see how it fits into the context of what Paul's saying, though. So in verse 14, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you and completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So I'm just looking at two verses, verse 12 and 13. It's, it's, um, thankfully, it's a, it's a mercifully short passage for me. But as I said, it comes in a, in a kind of like a very fast progression of directives which drives us as a church body to certain actions. And it's at the end of his letter, Paul's already dealt with some pretty big themes. So it might be a temptation to just quickly read through these. So he's, he's talked about the importance of holiness, moral holiness. He's also talked about the importance of loving one another. He's talked about the day of the Lord. He's talked about the rapture of the church. He's talked about those very big issues. So it could be a temptation to just kind of skip over some of these or read them too quickly. So we're going to slow down the next few weeks and look at them broken up. Before we left the theme of the return of the Lord, Paul made a comment in verse 11 that we need to see. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Build one another up. Now, I think what follows in the conclusion here is examples of how we build one another up. And as a group, as we look at it as a group, this is actually a very big deal too. I mean, we can get really excited about the return of the Lord, but as we wait for the return of the Lord, sometimes we, we hear these exhortations that we need to be edifying one another. And, but what does that mean? What does it mean to edify one another and build each other up? And here 
in the last few uh, verses, he's giving us several ways in which the church builds itself up as we wait for the return of the Lord. So, here's just a little bit of an overview. I'm just uh, just follow along here. Look at the verse references. So, how we build one another up as a church comes out five ways. First, we have to appreciate our leadership in verses 12 to 13. Verses 14 to 15, we collectively encourage holiness. We start to, we encourage one another to to do what's right and follow Christ. Verses 16 to 18, we all work together towards the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit. And verses 19 to 22, we stay tender to the Spirit as it's imparted to us through the Word, as it's preached to us, as it's taught to us, and the Spirit speaks to us. We have to be tender to that. And then the last section, verse 23 to 24, there is a reliance upon the Lord Himself for growth and holiness, sanctification. Okay, we're not looking at all of that this morning. We're just going to look at the first two verses. And so the question here is, how do we build one another up? We do it by appreciation of church leaders. But how does that effectively build us up if we appreciate those who are serving us in leadership in the church? Well, my understanding of this text is that an appreciation of the work of church leaders results in love and peace within the church. So, there's responsibilities here within this text. They're a little bit more implicit, so we've got to kind of stop and meditate on them. There's responsibilities for those who are in a shepherding position, who are leading the church. There are also responsibilities here for those who are sheep, who are supporting the shepherds in their responsibilities. And so, this morning in verse 12, we're going to think about the God-given responsibility of shepherds. And if you have an outline in your bulletin and you want to follow along, that's there. It's also on the wall. But this is how we're going to think about this, the responsibilities of, of the God-given responsibility of shepherds and also of sheep. Very simple outline this morning. There's two points. Why do I use the word shepherd? when in this text there's no word shepherd. Well, the object of respect is not formally called here, you know, pastor or shepherd, but rather it's the descriptive, the descriptors are being referred to here of laboring among you and over you and admonishing you. These are all descriptives of the shepherding function of leadership within a church. And throughout the New Testament, you can look at various words that are used to describe a pastor or an elder, and there are four of them. There is an elder, there's overseer, there is pastor, and there is also leader, but they all coalesce. They all kind of come into the the function and the office of elder. And it's really important for us to realize that having well-qualified Having spiritually sensitive male leadership is crucial for the health of a church. Sometimes we look at the term elder and we assume that elder means older. That's not necessarily always the case chronologically. 
Age itself ought not to be a, a, a discriminating factor, but a lack of spiritual maturity, discernment, and faithfulness, and having the ability to communicate ought to be discriminating factors. Why? Because, because the health of the church rests on this kind of a leadership. I believe it was probably quite a challenge for the early church in Thessalonica to find qualified leaders because, after all, in the introductory chapters, Paul was talking about how he, he was with them really a relatively short time. He really he couldn't be there as long as he wanted. And he still yet appointed some leadership there at the beginning to, to watch over and to oversee and shepherd this church. It was probably difficult to find leaders within that day, just as it is difficult to find leaders today. But yet, it's important for us to understand the concept here of the position and the responsibilities here. And I want us to see that there are responsibilities that come with the position, and I'm thinking of myself here too in all of this. It says in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. That is an idea of diligently working. It is the collective responsibility of all the shepherds of the church, the elders, the one who is the paid pastor, yes, but the, all the elders to be shepherding and working diligently among the congregation. Now, the word work here is a word that's uniquely used to describe the costly effort of providing spiritual leadership for the church. Costly efforts. Now, this word, kopiao, is a, is a Greek word that typically means manual labor. And it's so often used of Paul when he describes of how he would make tents and he'd be laboring manually in the work and working hard at it. And this description, this description makes the point that all pastors and elders ought to engage and be expected to work hard in the service of the church, and me no less. Now, this word has the idea of manual labor. Now, I love manual labor. I enjoy it. I don't get a lot of it these days. In fact, there's some days I really miss it, that I could just like, you know, do some manual labor. <laughs> And there's really precious little that a pastor does that would be considered hard manual labor. And uh, I think, though, that what we need to understand here is that the spiritual demands, though, that come with a pastorate are another kind of labor. It's another kind of, of costly effort. There are emotional anxieties that come with this position that can really sap you. When I was an associate pastor in New Brunswick, there were pressures of emotional nature, yet I didn't fully realize the extent until I was in this position. There's a lot to juggle, and there's a lot of emotional pressure that comes, and I'm very thankful for the elders who serve here along with me to carry some of that load, and the deacons, and, the, and, and my secretary, and I'm especially thankful for my wife, who helps carry more than she probably should. But I'm, conf I'm human. I'm, I'm human. It. And, and I think it's important for you to see this a little bit. I'm not whining in any respect. It's not my intention. But the reality is, is that when you carry the care of souls, 
You are, you are caring and hoping and you're praying that people will change and grow, and when they don't change and grow, and maybe even if they leave, your heart is affected profoundly. But it's ultimately the struggles of the heart that makes one weary in this kind of a position. But ultimately, it is, in the end, an area in which a pastor or an elder who cares for people needs to put ultimate responsibility in the hands of God, too. He alone is responsible, in that greater sense, for the establishment of His church. I share the sentiment of a pastor and a theologian, Charles Bridges, who wrote this at one time. He said, with all my discouragements and sinful despondency, in my better moments I can think of no other work with, worth doing compared with this. Had I a thousand lives, I would willingly spend them in it. And had I as many as sons, I should gladly devote them to it. And honestly, there is nothing more wonderful than seeing people change, people responding to the Word of God and in their heart repenting of sin and turning and finding the joy of Jesus as all that they need. That is what makes it so worth it. And that's what makes any kind of work worth it when you see the end goal for which you're working realized. And so, a responsibility of a pastor is to work diligently, to work hard, and to carry some of that emotional load. And secondly, they need to at times exercise authority. Exercise authority. Well, in verse uh, 12 it says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. It's that second phrase, over you. And it means to influence others so that they follow a recommended course of action. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get people to grow and to change and to become more like Jesus Christ. And this is the shepherding task in the absence of the chief shepherd who has gone on ahead of us to prepare us a place. I am, and other elders with me, are tasked with the responsibility to get people to grow and to change and to, to become like Christ. And there are times as church leaders, though, that in all of this, we, we have to make decisions that affect people. We make decisions. And not all decisions that, that leaders make are always met with a great deal of excitement. And within a church, thankfully, there is, there is safety within a plurality of eldership that when a team of elders make a decision in cooperation with leadership, there is safety there. But the ability to carry out biblical authority requires willing partners. We live in a day when it's, there's very little incentive to stick with a church for the long haul. You see, the American church, because it has no persecution that's really realistic persecution, there is nothing there to really kind of push us to stick with a church family, and so we're so heavily influenced by our own felt needs of things that we think that we need, and, and when we don't get what we need, there's no pressure from persecution to keep us in place. And so we wander like sheep, and we go 
looking for other pastures, looking for that which will do what we think that we need. And so we live in a world where if we don't like what's in this church store, we go to another church store. And in our world, we need willing partners. We need it. And we have things within our world like democracy and individualism that that can be so permeated in our thinking, we don't even realize that as we're thinking, we're thinking individualistically instead of looking at the whole picture of the whole church. That we're connected to a body that just doesn't exist between me and my, my personal family. We often have pressures in our world, like the priesthood of, well, it's a biblical doctrine, the priesthood of the believer. There are times where we look at the priesthood of the believer and we kind of misconstrue what it means at times to think that we, we become our own authority and we, 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 we don't like authority. We don't want people telling us that according to the Scriptures, we ought to be doing this. And when it doesn't match you know, how I feel or how I like to think about God, we wander, and we don't like that. And so, there's pressures that, that fall upon leadership within a church family. And so, pastors at times, though, need to be very careful not to overreach in their authority. Pastors also need to have a biblical sensitivity to the limits of their own authority. And third, the third area here is the, the need and responsibility of providing instruction. In that verse 12, we are over you in the Lord, yes, but we are at times needing to admonish you. That last phrase is probably sometimes the most difficult for a pastor to follow through on because the word admonish, some translation, my translation, My translation doesn't say this, but some translations say instruction. But it's not just head knowledge that's being implied there. It's the kind of instruction that's designed to correct and change people and and keep keep people accountable. It's frankly the kind of instruction that I give to my kids. And it literally means at time it literally means a firm reprimand. Just a quick observation. When I worked in a factory, there were many adults in the factory that I worked in that when they walked through the doors, they forgot that they were adults. They forgot that they were providing leadership in their own homes to their children. And as soon as they came in the door, all kinds of, you know, relational arguments would start to take place inside the workplace. You know, like, People would get like petty jealousies and all kinds of things that I, 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 they were falling into drama and, you know, they were forming cliques and they were resisting authority within the workplace. And I had to laugh because, wait a second, are these people adults? And the, the reality is, at times, church families can be just like our own personal families. And we need correction just as our children need correction. We need to get back on task. We need to to realize that what's most important as a church family, what is it that we need to be desperately doing? See, a major responsibility I have as a shepherd is to declare the Word of God to the best of my ability. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm not going to do it the way that everyone would like to have it heard or done. But when I present what I believe to be the truth of the Word of God, I got to 
I got to go there. I can't just stay back. I got, I've got to go there. But you know what? That's sensitive. I mean, there's no paycheck to hold you people here. I mean, you, you, that's a real temptation. I mean, there's a paycheck holding me here, so to speak. But there's nothing here holding us here together in when we hear instruction from the Word of God and at times when we need a reprimand to get our thinking back on track. These are the God-given responsibilities of a shepherd. What, what, what then in turn, how do we build up the church? Like, you know, I got to take my responsibility seriously to help build up the church. There is a flip side of this that there are God-given responsibilities of sheep to build up this church while we wait for the Lord's return. And I know this is, I don't want to be self-serving in any of this at all, but the first directive here is appreciation. Appreciation. And the word respect in verse 12 and the word esteem in verse 13 are the basis of this idea. And the word respect means to know, to know, and it carries the idea of a personal acquaintance and acknowledgement. Now, a personal acquaintance usually results in a caring disposition. And this is true in all of our human relationships. It's, it's, it's easy to form opinions about people you don't really know. We can become unkind. We can become critical. We can be indifferent if we don't really know a person. On social media this week, a friend of mine, Ken Platt, and a fellow pastor, posted an article about a man by the name of Daryl Davis, who has spent years trying to convert people who have been a part of the KKK. He basically, as a, a man of color, went and contacted people who made the claim that they hate him just simply because of his color. And he would ask them a simple question, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? And so, over the number of years, he's interviewed, he's sat, and he's talked to get to know some of these, these people in the KKK, and at the end of this, this, it's like a hobby for him, he's collected 200 capes and hoods where people have left it and said, you know what, I actually like this guy. You see, a close personal relationship usually results in a caring disposition. And I want to let you know a little secret. Pastors are not Klansmen. But at times, we are afraid to get personal with them. We don't bite. We love you. We desire the best for you. We're not perfect. And we want you to to understand the greatest degree of the love of Christ. You know, Satan would have you to believe that your pastor is the last person that you should tell your personal struggles to. That maybe somehow he'll think less of you. Absolutely not. I think well of people who share the struggles of their heart. And, and you know what? I'm encouraged 
because there's an a, a understanding that they can share that with me, and, and there's a love and affection that's resulting from that. I know, given the nature of pastoral ministry, it's very difficult because time is the most expensive thing that you have and you own. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's hard. I, I get that. There are limits to how much time you can give to get to know a person. But over the long haul, if you don't know your pastor, you should ask yourself, have I been investing time where he is? The pastor is at Bible studies on Wednesday night. The pastor is at Sunday evening. I'm accessible. I'm available. I have office time. I can go out for coffee. Like, and I know, quote, you might think that my life is busy, and it is busy, but I will make time for you if you come and ask me for time because I love you, and I want to get to know you. I want to help you. Affection is the second term, and this is really where it gets really awkward. I'm sorry, but I didn't write these words. It says in verse 13, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. To esteem here means to think about The word very highly is not just a respectful term, but it's actually, it means beyond all measure. So, you're esteeming them beyond all measure. You're esteeming the elders beyond all measure because of the work that they do. Now, taken to the extreme, this would be cultish, and that's, I don't believe what what Paul is talking about here. It's because of the work that they do that it's difficult. It's requiring potential conflict with people over sensitive spiritual matters. Their work is not typical work. It's sensitive. And preaching, and really in many ways, as I said before, it's the easy part of ministry. I was just recently speaking with a fellow pastor in the area who said to me, now they didn't teach us these things in seminary, did they? And they didn't. Interpersonal work is very challenging. In fact, uh, as I've thought through pastoral ministry, I've often thought of it as the human resource department of a corporation because there's at times interpersonal conflicts and the HR department would come in and mediate and work things out. And that's kind of what I, that's like my avocational pastime if I'm not actually ready, preparing to do the word. I was looking through a file this week And I came across a letter that was written to me, and I'm sharing this because I want you to know that I'm I'm sensitive to the realities within a church family because I've lived some of them. But I came through a file, I came across a letter that had been written to me 16 years ago. Abby Abby and I at the time were newly wed, we were six, you know, just newly wed, we were trying to balance marriage, we were trying to balance school and work and ministry and And the pastor was making demands of me that I didn't feel were quite realistic given my life situation, and he was a bit awkward about it. And in fact, uh, I don't think he really understood us. And I was, my actions led to this letter that I got. In fact, the letter was because I had disassociated myself from the church. And I regret to say that the basis of our leaving of that church is often a lot like what most people leave a church. They lose respect for a pastor. 
Here's one line for this letter that should haunt us all, and it haunts me as I even reread it this week. He said this, I sincerely hope that in the near future you might realize that you have forsaken a family of believers that loves and cares for you. You know what? By the grace of God, God did a work in my heart. And thankfully, by God's grace, within a few month period, I was able to reconcile to that pastor again. And God convicted me of the anger and the bitterness that, and the resentment that was in my heart and the bitterness and anger. These things are terrible things. They're horrifying things. They torment and they destroy people and they were destroying me. But what every pastor wants, including this pastor who sent me that letter, was to be reconciled to him. No person is perfect. Pastors are in that category. We are not perfect. We do a work, and when we, we lose respect, how do we get it back? We may need to search our souls. We need to pray. And maybe when we lose respect for other people, we need to remember that these are people for whom Christ died. There is nothing short of a miracle, though, that occurs. In fact, it is a miracle. It's the miracle of the cross when a soul is reconciled with the Father and also with a brother. That is miraculous. And so these are things that we, as sheep, are to give towards those who are in leadership, to build up. Third area, and the last area here, is peace. There is no greater blessing that you can give your church than to be at peace with one another. And peace is so important in this passage. I mean, look at verse, drop down to verse 23. Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. You know, Paul could have chosen any unique characteristic description of God, and he chose peace. That should stand out to us, particularly in this verse when he says, and be at peace among yourselves. This is Yes, it's a characteristic of God, but it's how we reflect God. If God is a God of peace, then if peace is within ourselves, we reflect God to the world. You know, Satan wants to get us so discombobulated, so completely out of distraction, just so that our effectiveness for the reaching of the lost is lost. He wants us not to be at peace with ourselves. One theologian noted the spiritual importance of good relationships in the church, and this is what he said. He said this, For Paul, in my opinion, had in view to oppose the artifices of Satan, who ceases not to use every endeavor to stir up quarrels or disagreements or enmities between people and pastors. See, the end result here of loving the leadership of your church is the end result of the building up of your church. This is not an easy message. Don't try to look at me. Try to look at the words of the Scripture here. I'm thankful for the many people who encourage me in the life of this church, and I am so thankful for those who encourage their elders who serve along with me. You know, I want you to understand that the most encouraging thing, though, that you can give your pastor 
is a sensitivity to the Word of God, a heart that hungers and desires to change. Those are the things that thrill my soul. They give me an abiding joy. There is always room for me to grow as a pastor. There's room for our elders to grow too. The question is, is there room for you to grow? How can you help build up the church? Are you praying for your leadership? Are you praying for us? Maybe like me, you may need to reconcile with somebody who is in leadership. Back when I needed to be reconciled to my leadership, Maybe they know it. Maybe they don't know it. It's a way in which you can build up the body as we wait for the return of the Lord. Just imagine what could be done for the kingdom of God if we're encouraging one another and building one another up in love and promoting peace. See, this is it. The appreciation, the work of church leaders, it does result in love and peace within the church.